We are continuing where we left off. This is Doug Presley, Word is Truth Christian Church. And we are going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. For the disciples, the limitations they had to accept that spirit of truth will come to an end. Their capacity to understand the much more information that Jesus wanted to share. Again, if I were in the disciples' sandals, I would be bubbling over the excitement how they can stand the wait for the coming of the spirit of truth. Here is where I am sure I could learn to be more patient. Although I'm not sure the spirit of truth wants me to be patient, and my eager discovery of the Father's plan, he's waiting on us. One of the amazing things I discovered is that Jesus knew they couldn't relate to what he wanted to tell them. He knew it was information that no human eye or ear mind could not conceive. What the event of the spirit of truth we are now, we we are we are now, divinely empowered, so that we may understand what God has really given us. Take the first verse, Corinthians chapter two, verse twelve. This speaks of the level of information previously known only to God. I am honored to be a recipient of this glorious information, and it was not. My choice to be here. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Take it from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Knowing that salvation is free, it, it only tells us to believe in Christ. The most thing that he did to bear upon not only the believer, also the non believer, is go to the cross under the Father's plan, and to take away the sins of the world. People sometimes get that revelation in chapter 1 about his hair was white as wool and his, and his eyes were like fiery. They understand the concept of what Christ went through. He went to the cross to take away our sins, and not only ours, but he was a propitiation for the sins of the whole world. His eyes of fire mean judgment. Whenever we see the word um, fire in, in the scriptures it talks about how God judgment about how he would judge us for what we would do with the justice of Christ or at the eternal last judgment about how we would see but judge the world so if you have not ever believed in Christ you have a privacy in your soul and in in your form just believe in Christ and you should have eternal life for the scripture says that Whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life, but whoever does not believe in him shall not be life. And the wrath of God will be made on him. God didn't want, he wants all of us to believe in Christ. That was his divine plan. But it all depends upon our volition and our free will to believe that Jesus Christ is the true God. Rest in human flesh. If you believe in him, we shall have eternal life. At this moment, we give our prayers to Bill and then go forward to our service.
Yes, I'm asking for prayer, traveling mercies for those who are traveling, and nuptials are in order for, and thanks for, uh, for Fred and Brenda. Amen. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, Dave. We appreciate you taking uh, taking care of those duties. But not only that, we always, it is a pleasure to be able to look to God and, and ask. He says, ask what you will. So we're grateful for having that provision. So we're moving forward. Um, you have notes. It... Uh, we are at John 16, 16, which says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. So in your notes, Jesus' instruction and discussion on the coming of the Spirit has proved to be necessary for the church's mode of operation and success in the world. Unfortunately, Many have not heeded the instruction and are not following the Spirit's leading. <coughs> Excuse me. Of course, anyone can make that statement. But the test of following the Spirit's leading will be seen in the attention given to the new truth he came to reveal. We do not have the liberty to serve God according to our own ideals and ideas and standards. It is simply wrong in every way. Just as Jesus told those Jews in his day, quote, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules, unquote. That's in Matthew 15, 9. The same applies to those in our day who ignore the Spirit's leading. So, Jesus said it. I am only quoting it, but if you are missing <clears throat> the plan of God, well, you have certainly missed something. So I just want to pause for a minute before we get into point number one here, uh, which says, in a little while you will see me no more. And just think about the messages that we went through with the spirit of truth. Uh, he's not done revealing things uh, from the spirit of truth. However, uh, what we went through was very telling and thorough, I would say, about uh, what Jesus wanted to reveal to the disciples 
about what was coming next. And that's important for not only them to know, but us to understand. If we are the next, then we should be understanding of what Jesus had spoken of regarding the spirit of truth and our modus operandi. It is important, obviously, uh, because it is the very engine, the Holy Spirit is the engine that helps us to walk according to our Lord. And, and that that's, has to be the most important thing. Uh, so we, we are in our notes. We're going to get to it. I know we talked about we would uh, talk about the results of the baptism of the Spirit. We, I haven't forgotten that. We may take time to do that at some point. But we have a lot more scriptures that are going to be dealing with that so ahead of us. So we, we can see them in context as well. But uh, we can deal with that in Q&A. We can talk about it more. If asked, then we're, we'll talk about it. But I want to stick to the context at this point uh, and keep our focus on what Jesus is saying in this discourse. So we're going to get to this verse. We'll break it down. It was only two points, so we'll see how long it takes us. So the first one is, in a little while you will see me no more. So clearly, this statement refers to Jesus leaving, right? Uh, just as he has been telling them uh, in the previous verses. If you go all the way back to John chapter 13, I'll look at, quickly look at a couple of the verses that talk about this. John 13, 33 says, My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So in verse 36, Simon Peter asks uh, him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow. But, but you will follow later. So now, uh, why can't they go? You know, I always looked at this and said, wait a minute. In 33, it says, where I am going, you cannot come. What Jesus meant was, you can't come now. Because in verse 36, he says, where I am going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow later. So that's interesting. We don't want to take verse 33 out of its context because then it would say that P Peter and the disciples are not going to be able to go to heaven. But when we look at verse 36, we see, oh, so it's not that they are not going. It is that they cannot go now, but they will follow later. So that's good. Peter asked uh, ask that question and it brought clarification to Jesus' word. Uh, this is the point where they were tremendously upset. So if you look at John 13, 33, and he said that, and then he said after that, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must, you, you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's important information. But guess what? As Jesus said, I'm leaving, I'm going away, you can't come. I'm sure they didn't even hear those instructions. As soon as Jesus said he's leaving, I bet they went numb. And they, what? Sure, Jesus kept talking, 
but they weren't hearing. So what is the first thing that in verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, as soon as he got able to get a word in, what is it? What? Where are you going? What What do you mean I can't follow? He skipped right over all the other stuff and just went right to the heart of the matter, at least his heart, what was on his heart. So that is the first thought. Uh, and then we also have chapter 14 and verse, if we move on to verse, uh, well, there's several verses. I didn't pick all of them. I just picked some of them. So he says, uh, verse 28, 14, 28, you heard me saying, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. But notice, he also reiterates that he is going away. That's the point of it all. Uh, and he continued with that in other verses, uh, 16.7, which is in our context. Well, all of it is in our context, but in the immediate context, 16.7 says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, so hopefully the disciples could understand this. But really, it, they really didn't. In their mind, there is no better situation for us but to have Jesus with us. In their mind, that was the key. That was tantamount in their thinking was, Look at verse 6. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. They were upset. When you're upset, you can't think straight. Even if somebody's telling you something good, if it isn't a reversal of what the bad news was, you can't hear it. You can't see it. Unless you tell me everything's going to be okay, you're not going away, I don't know. I know you're saying a lot of words, but I'm really not hearing you. That's what was going on here. So Jesus says, in a little while you will see me no more. I say that's clear that he's talking about what he's been saying in the context all along, how he's going away and the Spirit's coming back. So to me, that's literally what it is. And point number B would be in a little while literally means Jesus would leave them through death on the cross before sunset the next day. So why do I say before sunset the next day? We're going to go to John chapter 19 to understand why I would say such a thing. Am I just being presumptuous here? So verses 31 through 34. Let's just read it really quick. So just, this is what... Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. So we know Sabbath for Jews is from sunset to sunset. So we know that Jesus, uh, they, it was preparation day, Passover, Preparation day means you prepare for the Sabbath, and then the Sabbath you rest, right? You don't do any preparing or work or anything. So preparation day is get everything in order so that you can rest. 
But this was not just a regular Sabbath, weekly Sabbath. It also was the Passover. So you had uh, the Sabbath day, which is a normal weekly Sabbath, plus the Passover fell on that day as well, which uh, another way of translating this was it would be a high Sabbath, meaning you got two uh, Sabbath. Because if the Passover had fallen on another day, like Tuesday, that would have been a Sabbath. So that would have meant Monday is the preparation day for Tuesday, which is the Sabbath. But it just so happens that Jesus died on Passover, just like the Passover lamb was slain and so forth. He died on that preparation. So, I mean, even the Jews, they, would, they couldn't just kill the lamb on Passover day. They had to kill the lamb before Passover. On preparation day, same day, Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die on Passover. He died on a preparation day of Passover. Hopefully people understand that. Uh, if you not, just, we'll just ask later. 32, 1932, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So, I'm just saying, reading this to let you know that when Jesus says, in our context here, in a little while, he, he literally is talking about less than 24 hours because when they leave after Jesus prays in the next chapter and they leave they go to uh, the mount of uh, the uh, garden of Gethsemane and that's where Judas brings the detachment of the temple guards and they arrest Jesus through that whole night they go through these mock trials trumped up charges against Jesus and all that. And then the next day, they bring him before Pilate, bound and asking that Pilate crucify him. Before sunset, because remember, uh, they had Jesus on the cross, and then they wanted him off the cross because <laughs> they did not want to desecrate their holy day by having bodies on the cross. In Jerusalem really it's outside the gate but even still they just wanted to present a clean picture of their holy day they didn't want to be wanted to be desecrated by bodies hanging on the cross so that that was the thought and you know generally speaking people could languish on the cross for days they could be literally uh, they would die usually of thirst or uh, asphyxiation. They couldn't breathe. They couldn't push themselves up to breathe anymore. It wasn't just that you got on a cross and then you would die, but Jesus died. He gave up his life for us on the cross. So when the soldiers came to break his legs, because that means he wouldn't be able to push up anymore and get, he, they would die pretty much easily from, you know, they would suffocate to death. <clears throat> then uh, they would die quickly. And so they didn't have to do that with Jesus. So literally, a little while, in a little while, you will see me no more. This is what Jesus is saying. That's it. 
I'm going to be gone. This is what I meant. I meant all that time. You know, and he literally said it as much. If we go to Matthew, he says, "I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're, they're going to beat me up. They're going to spit on me. They're going to abuse me, and then they're going to crucify me." But he also adds in Matthew 16, "And in three days I'll rise again." And but they didn't pay any attention to that. I guess. That remains to be seen. Well, you say you're going to rise again, but uh, if you die, all bets are off. We don't know if you're going to come back or not. We, we're not sure, but so only thing, if you're telling us you're going to die, then that's it. You're out of here as far as they're concerned. That's, I mean, maybe we've been following the wrong person. I, I don't know. I'm throwing a curve here. So this is how they looked at it. But when Jesus said in a little while, that's what he meant. Literally, it's going to happen tomorrow before sunset. And that's how we know. We know from hindsight, they are getting foresight here by Jesus, by telling them in a little while, you will see me no more. Point C, let's keep moving. For us who identify with the reality of death in this world, it is certainly final, but not for Jesus as we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, for this verse to understand how death is actually seen and how it's seen by the Lord. So, so Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. So when I say, look, death is final. It, it is. There's nobody talking about, well, he died and was buried, you know, and buried and then after several days, we have them back again. That's not happening. There are fanciful stories of such things, but this is not something that happens. People, one thing people understand, that death is final. When you die, you could have said a lot of things. You could have said, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm gonna... But when you die, that's it. People, that's why there's so much wailing and weeping at funerals and mourning because they know that person is gone. They're, they're not thinking, well, they're gone, but no, 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 they are gone. So as far as the human understanding, we know this is something that has not just happened, you know, to, to a few. This happened to everybody. This is across the board. I don't care what religion you have. You know that once you die, that's it. You ain't coming back. I can use bad English because it needs to be a point that everybody understands. I, I mean, this is literally done. So we, we're not making it seem like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we understand this. Listen, even the disciples and the women that followed Jesus all around, when Jesus told them he was coming back, when he died, none of them, at least from Scripture that we have, believed that he was coming back. None of them. In fact, the ladies that showed up at the tomb, they weren't there because they were saying, wow, we want to welcome Jesus when he wakes up or when he comes, when he's resurrected. We want to welcome him. No, you know what they were there for? because they wanted to anoint his body with spices and they had to hurry up and uh, they didn't have time because remember he died on preparation day 
They didn't have time to go get the spices and do the traditional Jewish burial. So they figured they would wait till after the Sabbath and they would bring those spices and give Jesus the proper burial that he deserved. They weren't coming because they thought, oh, you know, he did say, he did talk about coming back. None of that was on their minds. And when they went and told, when they saw the tomb was empty and they ran and they told Peter, guess what Peter and the disciples said? You crazy. Literally, you go ahead and read it. They said, you're crazy. You, you speak it, you women are talking like crazy people. I mean, wait a minute, how crazy is that? Jesus already told them that he was coming back. Why is that so crazy? But yet, that was how they saw death. That's how we see death. I don't care what boasts or claims or predictions I make. Once I die, all bets are off. I don't care what I said. <laughs> you, I'm gone, I'm gone. I'm not coming back. Not to this world. That's it. So the disciples knew that. Hebrews, Hebrews, let's look at it. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Jesus Christ was a man. He became a human being. But he wasn't only a human being. He was God. I like that verse in John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Yeah, that's, that's who we're talking about here. So since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What does that to say about us? Because Jesus Christ came to show us death is not the finality of life. It is not. Jesus came back and he broke the, he holds the power of death now in his hands. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be fearful about leaving this life because we know it is not over. And how do we know for sure? I mean, like the disciples, even though Jesus told them, they would not trust his words. But he demonstrated that he has conquered death. Not only for himself, but for all those who are in him. And we understand now when we talk about what happens when we die. And we can tell you the detail and all that. And why do we believe such things? We, none of us have come back and, except for one person. And that is Jesus Christ. He is now in a resurrection body. 2,000 years later, he's still alive. And he's in heaven right now for us. So that's important. Fear of death is uh, something that all of us know about. And... And, and have to deal with. But you know, we have great evidence here in the word for, for us to put our faith in the narrative that Jesus has told us 
about what happens after death. We have no need to fear it. We can welcome it. There's another verse that says, to be absent from the body, that's death, physical death, is to be present with the Lord. That's glorious. That's far better to be home with the Lord. Point D in our notes. Let's keep going. D. This was the toughest challenge for the disciples. They were filled with grief from the moment they heard it. And that's, we read John 16 and verse 6 where it says, you, you all were filled with grief. Filled with grief. That's, that's the verse we read earlier. Um, I'll just read it again just to be sure that we're on the same page. 16.6, rather... You are filled with grief because I have said these things. Soon as soon as Jesus said those things, it's like I said, they went numb. They couldn't hear anything. It was like, you're leaving? Do you know we left everything? We have been following you, and now you're telling us you're leaving? This can't be. This is why Peter said immediately after, when Jesus told him that, he says, well, uh, it doesn't have to go down that way. I will fight for you. I will have a sword and I will defend. So I know they're going to try to come and kill you. I've seen that already, but don't worry because I will fight. I imagine the other disciples says, yes, yes, we will too. We'll, we'll all fight for you. So it doesn't have to go down the way you're talking about. Don't worry. We're going to hoist you up as king. And, and, and we will be uh, sitting at your right and left. And we will, it'll, we will allow your kingdom to come. But they were wrong. It had to go the way it went. Thank God it did not go the way the disciples wanted it to go. And it did go the way Jesus wanted it to go. So, but no... No, it has to go down that way. Jesus and Peter, he said, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times before morning. Three. Because remember, we talked about that night was going to be travail for them. Grief. They're going to, Jesus is going to be taken in the garden and, and the soldiers will be abusing him, beating him right before their eyes. So yeah, they would want to fight, but guess what? They ran and hid themselves because usually when they would get the leader they would also get the followers and arrest them too and crucify all of them together as an example and a deterrent for anybody who dared defy their authority imagine how ruthless that is oh you are with them jesus no no who you want is me. I'm here. Here I am. I'm not resisting. Come take me. These others, they're not. Let them go. And they ran. Oh, man, did they run. So, so this is the thought uh, here. Going back to our notes, it was tough. It was a challenge. So when he says, in a little while, you will see me no more. He's just reiterating what he's already been telling them. <coughs> One more thing. Point F, oh, wait a minute, um, point E, 
see me no more, right? He says, in a little while you will see me no more. This is obviously not a final statement. Well, what do you mean see me no more? Because we have the second half of the verse, all right? The second half of the verse says, and then after a little while you will see me. So again, it's like what we were reading in John 13, 33 and 36, right? You could read the verse 33, it says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, you say, oh, well, we're not going to heaven. But then if you go down and read verse 36, you see, yeah, we can come, but not now, Jesus. So in the same way, in this verse, in a, in a little while, you will see me no more. Well, okay, but that's not final. Because if you read the next the half of the verse, it says, yeah, but then a, in another, after a little while, you will see me. So we have to understand the Bible in context. Right? We have to take time to make sure we understand it before we go sprouting off about what was said and, and when really we haven't done our homework to make sure we know what was said and what it means. We've got to take our time. A lot of people don't. They'll take that verse and they'll be like, well, Jesus said you won't see him anymore. And they'll preach a whole sermon on it when, when the next phrase says they would see him again. Okay. So, point F, one thing for sure, they would never see Jesus in this state again, right? Uh, even though Jesus is saying, yeah, you're going to see me again. But really, I'm just saying, for myself, we would never see Jesus in the state that he was again. But he would be seen, we would see him in his resurrected state. That's how we would see Jesus in his resurrection body. The disciples would no longer see the Jesus that was on the earth walking around just, you know, like they were. Jesus would have died, been buried, and on the third day, he would be raised. But not just like Lazarus was raised and resuscitated back to the life he had before. No, Jesus is in a new body. A resurrection body. He is the first, first fruit of all of those who have slept. Jesus has, has been resurrected. So that's a difference. It's not just, oh yeah, you'll see me again. I'm coming back like Lazarus. No, Lazarus subsequently died. Jesus would never be subject to death again. And the only reason he was subject to death was because of us. He died for our sins. He died so that he could uh, pay uh, for the sins. And he was resurrected because he fulfilled what the Father had uh, called him to do. So they would, they would never see that Christ, the same Christ, even though it is the same person. He now has a new body, a resurrection body. Point number two now, we're moving forward. Uh, as if we don't, our time would, would be gone. I know I talk too much here. But let's look at it. And then, after a little while, you will see me. So this is the first point here. There are two possibilities of interpreting this phrase, but only one makes the best sense. Sometimes we run across scriptures like this, where you have, it could go two ways, but let's see why we would choose the way we have, and that's what we're going to do. So here are the two possibilities. That it, and then after a little while, you will see me. 
So Jesus is speaking, here's the first possibility. Jesus is speaking of his return through resurrection. Well, sounds like uh, that is the one, but let's just see what the other possibility is. Jesus is speaking of his return when the Spirit comes. He did talk about the Spirit coming, and then he would come to them and make his home with them. That's John 14, 20 through 23. He does say that. He says, I will show myself to them and make... He says, and they say, well, how is it that you're going to come... This is Judas, not Judas Iscariot. This is... He says, well, how is it that you're going to come to us but not to the world? Right? And, and then Jesus goes on and speaks again some more. So it is a coming of Christ, but it is through the ministry of the Spirit where Jesus is coming. Remember, he says, I will send you another counsel, and one who is like me, to be with you forever. So is he talking about that when he says, and then a little while you will see me? Well, the little while that he was talking about was really a little while, okay? So point B is what my conclusion of all of that is. From the context, I would say Jesus is speaking of his resurrection. So that would be point number one. Jesus is speaking of his return through resurrection. Right? So point B says what my conclusion is. I would say Jesus is speaking of his resurrection. And there are a few reasons why. So why not give some reasons, right? <clears throat> is it just me throwing uh, the two choices in the air like a coin and then whatever side it comes down on, that's the one I'm on? No, it's not. There are reasons why. Here it is. So the first one is Jesus mentions a little while. So before and after both statements. So if a little while was in one statement before sunset, then again after a little while is on the third day. Right? It is literally the whole thing that we've been talking about the whole time. So Jesus mentions a little while before and after both statements, both phrases, and this seems to indicate a very short time. That's what it seems to indicate to me. Now, what if, what if uh, he meant a little while and he meant like before sunset tomorrow, and then, and again, after a little while, meaning 50 days later. Well, I think that's not a little while. That's, in comparison to the first little while, that is not, uh, we can't say a little while. Even though, in the scheme of things, we're looking back 2,000 years, yeah, it was a little while, but what, what makes more sense? It will be a short time. Point number two. Jesus clearly explains that they would weep and lament, but their sorrow would be turned to joy. So these are analogies that Jesus gave in verse 19 about that. So because after uh, he said that in a little while this and, and you will see me and then you won't see me anymore. And then after, but the disciples were puzzled about that. Verse 17 and said to one another, what does he mean by saying this? In a little while, you will see. They were confused. So they went back and forth, and they kept asking, verse 18, what does he mean? Right? In verse 19, Jesus saw that he, they wanted to ask him about this, so he said it to them. He explained it. He explains it by verses 19 and 20. Uh, or is it 21? 
Uh, no, actually it's 20 and 21. Oh, I might have made a mistake in my notes. Let's see if I did. Yes, I did. So it should be verses 20 and 21. I'm correcting my notes. That he explains what he means by a little while. And then again, after that, another little while here. Verses 20 and 21. So let's look. Verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So that's what he explains, what he means by in a little while, and a little while, and then again after a little while, right? So that's what he's saying. The weeping and mourning, well, that's his death. There was a lot of weeping and mourning at Jesus' death especially by those who loved him and thought he was the Messiah. They were grieved not only because of that, but because they were his friends, his personal friends. Jesus hung out with these people, and they were upset. But the world, they said, crucify him. He's an imposter. He's nobody. He's a nobody. Crucify him. Get rid of him, along with the Pharisees, as I would say, they are in, were instigated and uh, urged by Satan to uh, have Jesus and put him on the cross, who cru cru crucified, persecute uh, him, and put him on the cross. <clears throat> so there, Jesus is characterizing the whole thing in verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, yeah, while the world rejoices. So there was, um, they were happy to get Christ on the cross. They were done with him, they thought. But those who, um, uh, afterwards, their grief will be turned to joy. One would its grief be turned to joy at the resurrection when they finally saw Jesus alive again. <laughs> that was, they were saying, it was just like he told us, and they were rejoicing. Oh, my. This is resurrection day. So, and then, in our next, uh, in the notes I have, in verse in number three, this is B3, Jesus further explains that it is likened to a woman about to give birth and the travail she goes through, but then immediately there is joy. So again, this is what it's likened to in verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. And when he says that's pain, in other words, that speaks of the travail that the disciples have to go through during this time when Jesus is, is taken, beaten, you know, you know, made to be demeaned and mocked, you know, put a crown of thorns, they spit on him, they, they pulled out his beard, and they had to watch him do all this stuff and see him go through this. And he's the Lord. He's the one they've been following around for three and a half years. And he, it's like a woman going through. And then, on top of all that, they kill him. They put him on the cross. But then it says, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So he's Jesus has given us an analogy to what he means. Yeah, the disciples were going back and forth. Maybe some of them were even advancing ideas that were not true. They were speculating. What does he mean by that? They did not particularly ask Jesus. They said, Jesus, what do you mean? 
Jesus saw them going back and forth and puzzled about it, so he told them instead of them making up or filling in the blanks. He just told them. He says, that is how it's, it's going to go down. And here's a couple analogies where it's going to be just like this. So I would conclude from that. Those are the reasons why I would conclude that it speaks of his return through resurrection. So that's, and then we're moving forward. Point C. Point C. And then, here, here we are in our context. And then, after a little while, it seems to be clear, a clear reference to the death, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. So when he says, and then after a little while, then, then that little while, here it, is, it seems to be clear to me, it not only refers to Christ's death, that's the time that it took when he means after a little while. It meant after he died, after he was buried, and on the third day after he was raised uh, from the dead. That's what he means by, and then after a little while. And then point D, you will see me. So they would see, what would they see? The resurrected Lord. But essentially, even though Christ was in his resurrection body, he was still the same person he was before he was in his resurrection body. Now, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, his, his, outside, he was changed. And remember, his glory was veiled. It wasn't, you know, he didn't come in all his glory, but he did come in his resurrection body. So his resurrection body was versatile. He could change to not display all the glory that he had when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration or the glory that he would have when he comes back in the second coming. That's Christ in his resurrected body, but not his glory, not uh, seen as it would be in the future. So um, he says, you will see me and they would see the resurrected Lord which is the end of their emotional roller coaster, right? Once they saw Christ alive, right? Jesus said from the beginning, you believe in God, believe also in me. I mean, he's telling them, don't let your hearts be troubled. This, you should believe this because I'm telling you this is going to happen. They were thrown into a tizzy. They were upset about that Christ had to leave and then he was talking about this crazy suffering, about being crucified. They didn't like none of it. They hated it. And, and then the worst thing could have happened in their whole world. It happened, just like he said. He was crucified. They did take him and all of that. And then he was buried, and they were upset. They were hiding and fearing for their lives. And then Christ appeared to them. And it was all over. I mean, here is Christ alive. After all of that, they saw the resurrected Lord. It was the end of the whole emotional roller coaster that they had gone through. I mean, this was the time. I mean, their, their, their faith was tested. And Jesus kept telling them, love one another, stay together. Don't worry. You, of all things, make sure you have love. Stay with one another. Don't leave, right? Don't run. 
And the disciples were able to do that. At least they stayed together. And that is why we have them today as the foundation of the church. So we're moving forward. Point E, we're closing in here. Point E, the resurrection provides the stability, veracity, and confidence the disciples needed to go forward as the foundation of the church. Right? Ephesians 2.20, that, without that knowledge, how could they go on? Imagine if they had to wait till Pentecost, right? After Christ had died, and you know, uh, it's it's not Pentecost where the joy comes. It was the resurrection. Now, no, I don't want to say it's not Pentecost because wow, what happened at Pentecost was even great, greater. But it depended on all of those events happening. Those events, without him, his Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, there could be no Pentecost. So he had to accomplish those things, be uh, ascend into glory, and then send the, the Spirit back for the church age to begin. So it's important uh, to the stability of the disciples, the confidence, right, the truthfulness that they saw in the person of Christ and all that he predicted and prophesied. That they knew that without a shadow of a doubt, without any doubt, that, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that all that he had spoken of about the spirit of truth coming and all of that was absolutely so. It was reality. It was the plan of God. And it was all stamped by Christ coming back and showing himself alive to those disciples. It brought them great joy to see the resurrected Christ. So last point, Thomas, was, which is an example of uh, people who doubted. Thomas's doubting was likely typical of all the disciples. But we have the illustration to settle the matter beyond doubt. When I say it was typical, uh, of all the disciples, I mean, really, I mean, none of the disciples believed that Jesus was alive. I told you, Peter said, you're talking crazy, you women telling us these things. You're crazy. That's insulting. When they're trying to tell them what the will of God is. So they doubted, just like if Jesus hadn't shown himself to them alive, they would have not been in this position where they had the confidence and just the understanding of God's plan to move forward. They doubted God's plan. In fact, when Christ told them that, he said, no, Peter said, this will never happen to you. So did he doubt? Absolutely. He was doubting Peter. There was doubting Thomas. There was doubting John. We saw, illustrated for us, doubting Thomas. I would hope by reading this story and understanding that it's not just a story, it's history. Reading the history here, that we wouldn't be doubting as well. That we, we would understand that God's plan is reality. It is going to happen just like God said it would. It's the reality. 
That's what we need to really not only understand, but order our lives according to. Because no matter whether we order our lives or not, it's going to happen just like God said it would. It, there's nothing that's going to stop it. Probably uh, 70% of the prophecies in the Bible have already come true. Already come true. There's just a small portion of prophecies that are yet to come true because we haven't gotten there yet. But guess what? We will get there. And it'll, all the things that are going to happen, the rapture, all the stuff we know, going to happen just like God said it would. We One day we'll be looking back on it and saying, yeah, just like it. all the other prophecies, they came true exactly as God said they would. And so will these. The, these few ones that are left, they're going to come true as well. Beyond any doubt. God's word is truth. Your word is truth. That's what we have to understand. When Jesus speaks, he's not speaking from, I hope this will happen. If things go right, this will probably be a, a, a predicted outcome. No, he's telling you what he knows to happen, to be true, to be the reality. And of this, in this world, we can't trust very much what people say. But what we can trust is the word of God. It has been proven true all these years, over and over, and it will continue to be truth for us as the foundation of what the Spirit is trying to reveal, the reality of the Father's plan. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue with this context next week. Thank you, Father, for what a privilege that we have in Christ. And Father, we pray as we continue our sojourn into all truth that you will continue to guide and direct us and show us, help us to be motivated so that we can come to the knowledge of the truth, that we would want to know you better. We pray that whatever is hindering us from your will, Father, take it out of the way. Whatever we need to do to become even more clear on your will and, and your leadership. Lord, help us to work through those details so that we can come to the full knowledge of the truth and that we will reach the fullness and stature of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.